Hello, hello. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church. Welcome for the first time or welcome back to Redemption's podcast. I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and to like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Redemption Community Church. My name is Corey Ball, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption. I'm so glad that you have joined us for another service. If you are new to Redemption, then you may not know this yet, but but the people of Redemption are generous people. It's who we are. It's it's, it's our culture. It's in our DNA. Um, We're just generous people. We're generous with our time, and and we give that to those who need it as we're able to. We're generous with our things, our possessions, our our trucks and houses, our our pools, our backyards. We're we're generous with our skills and our talents. Um, We give of those things, and we're generous with our money. We're, We're just giving people. It's just who we are. Again, it's our culture. It's in our DNA. We don't withhold our bank accounts from God. Instead, we, we welcome him to step into our bank accounts and to do the things that only he can do with the money that he's already blessed us with. It's not ours. And so we allow him to do that. We welcome him to do that. And, and we're excited to be generous people. That's just who we are at Redemption. Um, but here's the thing. Um, the, the the At least for the staff, the, the idea of generosity, it didn't just come along when redemption, you know, started uh, earlier this year. No, no, it's been around for a long time. For us, uh, generosity um, has been modeled for us before redemption was ever a church. And for me, the, the, the story that I look back on that was just incredible uh, came from when I was 22 years old. When I was 22, I was a volunteer staff member uh, on staff at a church, a church plant actually in Columbus, Ohio. It was myself, there were four other volunteer staff members, and then the lead pastor who was paid. And uh, because I was a volunteer staff member, that meant what? It meant that I had a second job, okay? And so I served tables at Olive Garden. Yes, never-ending breadsticks! That's what I'm talking about, right? All right, so uh, so I served uh, tables at Olive Garden, and um, one day I was working a double, it was a Friday, and, um, and that night, this, this, this woman, Nikki, she burst into the galley. The galley is kind of where, you know, you, you, you make your drinks and you get ready to walk out with your food and whatnot. She burst into the galley and she's crying hysterically. And Nikki had a big problem, a, a big problem. She was going to be moving the next day. And she paid this good old boys moving club uh, or good old boys moving company um, that was staffed by good old boys club uh, type of thing. Uh, She paid them like 500 bucks. And those dudes basically said, hey, I know we were supposed to move you tomorrow, uh, but we can't do that. We can move you next Saturday. And she was like, yeah, that's not going to work. My lease ends tomorrow. And they're like, well, you're not getting a refund and we can either move you next Saturday or nothing. And they took her 500 bucks and um, they weren't going to move her. And so she was kind of, you know, w- w- without any recourse of, of action there. 
So she's she's crying hysterically. She's telling us, I don't know how I'm going to get moved. I have to get all my stuff or it's going to be you know, thrown out on the lawn. I'm going to get you know all this stuff, all these, all these issues. Um, single mother, and she's like, there's no way I can pull this off. I don't have the money. I, I, I work at Olive Garden, right, um, by myself, uh, single mom. So I speak up, and I said, Nikki, I got you. Like, my church, we will move you tomorrow morning. And Nikki said uh, some, some expletives and basically said she didn't believe me, okay? And she's still crying hysterically, and maybe now she's angrier, right? And I said, no, no, I'm not joking. I swear to you. We will move you tomorrow morning. And um, now I was working, so I couldn't I couldn't make phone calls and, and arrange this. And so what I did was I, I I called Nick. Nick was another volunteer staff member there. And I called Nick and I said, hey, man, uh, here's the deal. This is the situation, okay? Uh, I can't talk long because I got to go serve my tables. But um, I need you to call people and, and let's see if we can pull this off, okay? Like, let's see if we can get people. And uh, and so so Nick, he, he calls around. And Nick comes up with 15 people in three trucks in one hour. All right. And so the next morning, uh, we show up to Nikki's house and, uh, coffee and donuts, you know, like church, the church, we bring coffee and donuts and uh, we, we move Nikki on the church's dime and, and it's all done within an hour's time. Okay. Within one hour, like Nikki was floored. She was blown away by the generosity of people that she had never met. That she didn't even know. She couldn't believe it. Right. Okay, now, the generosity is great. I love the generosity. But I, I, I want to look at something real quick in this story. What if? What if I called Nick and I was like, hey, man, here's what I need. Like, we got to be generous. We got to love Nikki. We got to serve this girl. Okay? What if I said that? And, and Nick called me. And Nick goes, yeah, absolutely, man. I got it. Okay, we're going to go serve your coworker. There will be 15 people there tomorrow morning, and there will be three trucks. Okay, what if Nick said that and then I showed up the next morning to Nikki's house and nobody showed up? None of my friends came, right? Nobody from my church showed up. There were no trucks there. There were no donuts. There was no coffee. Okay, what if that happened? That, that, that wouldn't be generosity. It would be a scam, right? Like we would be bamboozled by Nick. We would be fooled. We'd be hoodwinked, right? Because here's what we know. All right, this is the bottom line for today. Uh, the power of a promise is in its fulfillment, not in its commitment. The power of a promise is in its fulfillment, not in its commitment. And we know this. Like, we know these phrases, uh, empty promises. We've heard that before, right? Um, <clears throat> I think um, you, you can see this interaction often when you know there's a there's an overworking a work addicted father who is missing his son's baseball games and and he's in the kitchen with his son and 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 and, and he you know his son has a baseball game coming up the next day and he goes buddy I'm going to be there I'm going to be there and the kid walks away sad right the father's like, what's going on? And the wife speaks up in the movie, you know, it's always in the movie. It's stereotypical. The wife speaks up in the movie and she goes, you know, he's tired of your empty promises, right? Um, and actually you can see this really play out in, uh, in Robin Williams character, uh, who he, he, he plays this character, Peter Banning, or better known as Peter Pan and his son, Jack in the 1990s movie hook, man, love that movie. And by the way, uh, you'll see, okay, I was like irate when I found this. I was looking for the year that the movie was actually produced and made and whatever. And yeah, 
on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it, it at least deserves an early or low 80s, okay? But 29%, brutal. Well, today we're going to be finishing our series, A New Heart, and we're going to be looking at the fulfillment of the promise that God made. Because remember, uh, we as, as Christians, we serve a God that doesn't just give empty promises. He doesn't just give broken commitments, but instead he gives fulfilled promises. Okay, and so we're going to be looking at that today. Um, but remember, last week we, we talked about these two um, prophets. One was Jeremiah, one was Ezekiel. And both of these prophets, they they promise this new covenant and and they promised three things with the new covenant the very first thing they promised uh, was that God would no longer write his law on stone tablets but instead he would write his instruction his law uh, on our hearts the second thing is that God would remove our stony and stubborn hearts and he would give us what a heart of flesh a soft and responsive heart and then the third thing is that God was going to put his spirit inside of us Whew, that's crazy, right? Okay, three things, very big promises. And, and remember, uh, these promises, they were, they were roughly made 565 years um, before Jesus, and, and they were uh, made 600 years before they would actually be fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Uh, and last week, we, we reiterated a bottom line that came from our series, Come and See, which was a series we did, you know, uh, maybe back in February. And and, and listen, um, with that Come and See series, uh, if, if you missed any of that, we that's a, it's a great series. I highly recommend you going to our YouTube channel and checking it out. It's all going to be on there. But um, that Come and See series, in that series, we, we, we talked about this. We talked about this uh, this idea that delayed isn't denied. Delayed isn't denied. Okay, so in human terms, God delayed the promise, right? He, he delayed his fulfillment of the covenant. 600 years is a long time, right? That's delayed in human eyes, right? But it wasn't denied, okay? It was never denied. God didn't deny it. He just delayed it. And at redemption, we we, we have faith in, in, in God. We believe that faith is this. It's confidence that God is who he says he is. And he's going to do everything that he promises to do. Okay? So um, if God is who he says he is, he's going to do everything he promised to do. How is he going to fulfill the new covenant? How is he going to make it happen? All right? Um, I want to set this up of, of where we're at. We're in Matthew 26. And this is the end of Jesus' life. Like, this is the last night he's going to live. Okay? He's with, he's with his followers, his closest followers, the 12 disciples. If you didn't know this, there were kind of some different groups of people that followed Jesus, some crowds, and then there was a group of 72 that, clo- that closely followed him. But then there was a group of 12 that Jesus led in, like, I mean, real close to him. And then even in that 12, there were three of those um, that he really mentored, that he gave a lot of time to, okay? Um so he's with his 12 uh, disciples and they're in this place called the upper room. It, it, it's this, basically this man's house and, and there's an upper room there and, and they're, they're celebrating Passover. Okay, they're celebrating Passover. And, and, and we're going to get into what Passover is, but this is like the last moments of his life. He's getting ready to be betrayed by Judas. Judas is one of his followers and, and his follower, Judas, betrays him. And so we're going to be looking at at, uh, at what happens just before that, okay? Um, and so he only has hours left in his life. He knows it. And he's getting ready to to do one of the most important things he had ever done in his life. All right, so Matthew 26. We're going to start reading in verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. 
And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So a covenant is a bond between two parties. And to enter the covenant or to exit the covenant, there has to be bloodshed. Okay, um, And it's sovereignly administered, meaning that God resides over it. right? Like he's going to hold the parties accountable um, to fulfilling their covenant. Okay, um, And so here we see that Jesus, he's telling his closest friends that he's getting ready to institute or that he's instituting this new covenant. And he's, he says, he, he gives them the bread. He says, this is my body, right? It's crazy. He gives them the wine. He says, this is the blood of my new covenant. Like this is, is me. And, and, um, and before I go any further, we need to see this. Okay. Again, going back to the bottom line, the power of a promise is in its fulfillment, not in its commitment. Okay. So, so Jesus, he, he gives these things to them and, and he's getting ready to fulfill the new covenant, all right? If God promised uh, one day that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to no longer um, write my, my instruction on stone tablets. I'm, I'm now going to write it on your heart. I'm going to remove your stony and stubborn heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And um, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. But instead, Jesus lived a super plush life, really comfortable, a long life, Right? Uh, he was chilling on a yacht on the Sea of Galilee, okay, just kind of hanging out, eating the best sardines in the land, right? The best lamb croquettes, you know, in the in the land. And um, and then he dies of old age, maybe, you know. Um, and there was nothing, like, magnificent about his life. Like, God comes to earth, he lives plush, and then he just dies. Um is that fulfillment of the promise? No, it's a broken commitment. See, for, for God to enter into a new covenant, there had to be blood shed. And we know that today, that that bloodshed had to be the blood of Jesus. Okay, so like I said earlier, Jesus, he was arrested later that night, and then he was crucified. Okay, and and and. And when he was crucified, the blood that, that was spilled out of his body was the binding. It was the thing that bound the new covenant, right? Remember, the, a, a covenant is uh, it, it's a bond in blood sovereignly administered. In, in, in Jesus, the blood that he shed on the, on the cross, that was the blood that bound the new covenant, okay? And the, the crazy thing about this is that that Jesus, he enters uh, this new covenant as as the, the administer, right? The one that's administering it, the making sure that, that parties are going to uphold their end, right? That's him as God, right? He's also entering it as one of the parties, okay? But he's also entering it as the blood that binds the entire thing together. See, the new covenant starts and ends with God. Every single bit of it is about God upholding his end of the covenant with us because he knows that we cannot uphold it on our own. 
right? And for 600 years, the Israelites, they were waiting for Jesus to come. They were waiting for the Messiah, for a Savior. They knew a Messiah was going to come. They knew a Savior was going to come. They were waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah to come. And I think for most Israelites, they chalked it up to urban legend. You know what I mean? They were like, I don't think it's really going to come. Like, I don't think that God is really going to come. I think we've been, we've, we've been bamboozled. I think we've been hoodwinked. I think we've been fooled. I think this is maybe an urban legend that our crazy uncles concocted year after year. They just kind of kept feeding it to us. I don't think this is real. And so they sit back and they're waiting for this fulfillment. But here's the thing. God was going to fulfill his covenant no matter what, even if it meant sending himself, right? Because God himself came down in the form of Jesus, right? The person of Jesus Christ. Even if it meant sending his own son, the father sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to fulfill the new covenant. We don't serve a God of broken promises, right? Or broken commitments. We serve a God that, that is, has fulfilled commitments, fulfilled promises. Okay, so I want to take a bit, just, just a moment, a bit of our time, and I want us to look at the historical context of what is happening here. It's very important, and this is why. Because there is something there in this scripture that is actually not there. Okay, I hope that makes sense. There's something that's present here, it really is, but it's not explicit. All right, now we need to uh, step into the historical context to really understand this. Let, let me say this the Bible is straightforward. What it says, it means. But parts of the Bible were written over 3,400 years ago, right? This means that that when it comes to the Bible, we, we need to um, step into the historical context of the Bible, all right? And, uh, and that's going to help us understand what is actually happening here. So I want us, I want us to fully understand this I want us to fully appreciate what happens here because it's beautiful, okay? Now, let's look at this. Um, In the historical context, um, both in Jesus' time then, okay, the Jews then, and the Jews today, Jewish people today, they they take part in something called Passover or Passover meal. It's also known as a Seder dinner, okay? Now, Passover meal and Seder dinner, uh, what they do is they help the, the Jewish people tell the story of how God saved them in the book of Exodus, okay, from from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, how God saved them and how he continues to save them and how he promises to save them one day with uh, with the Messiah, with the Savior. Okay, so this is what Passover is. That's what Seder dinner is. Now, during the Passover, uh, there are five cups of wine that are poured. Now, four of them, the first four are drank from, but the, the last one is not, okay? Um, now, the first one, I'm going to go through these cups, all right, and, and I'll explain the importance of them and, and, and where they take place in the meal. Now, the first one is the cup of sanctification. And this is when God says to the Egyptians, I will, br- sorry, says to the Israelites when they're in captivity to the Egyptians, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Now, this accompanied um, the blessing before the meal. So they drank this before they ever had any food. They drank, drank this, this cup of wine. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. 
Now, this is when God says to the, to the Israelites, I will deliver you from the slavery to them. And this was shared after the story of Exodus had been recounted. Okay. Then there was a third cup. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, God says to the Israelites. This followed the meal of unleavened bread, uh, the sacrificial lamb, and the dip of bitter herbs. Okay, so they would eat this meal together. And right after the meal, they would drink from the cup of redemption, right? Um, And then the fourth cup was the cup of restoration. I will take you to be my people I will be your God. That's when God says that to the Israelites. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, we we talked about that last week. He says that in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. Okay, um, and this was taken after the Passover hymns in and uh, had had been sung. Those songs had been sung. Okay, so the timeline in the meal. This is very very important. It's important because the first two cups they had already been drank during this meal. All right. The, the disciples and Jesus, they drank from those two cups of wine already. The third cup of wine is now the cup of redemption. And this comes right after they're done eating. And it says in, in scripture here that as they were eating, which means they're, they're, they're eating the, the lamb, they're eating you know the, the unleavened bread, the dip of bitter herbs, and they're at the end of this meal. And Jesus gives them the cup of redemption, the third cup. And he gives it to them and he said, this is is the blood of my new covenant, okay? And, and so he gives them this, this wine and they drink from it, all right? It says in, at the end of verse 27 and 28, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Okay, but notice Jesus, he doesn't continue with tradition as usual because the next cup, the fourth cup, uh, is is known as uh, the cup of restoration, right? But let's look at the verse in uh, Matthew 26, verse 29. He says, Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He doesn't drink from the fourth cup. He breaks the tradition of Passover. He breaks the tradition of Seder dinner, and he doesn't go to the fourth cup. And why does he not do that? Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. So hold on. Okay, hold on to that. But but I said this. I said that there were five cups, right? The fifth cup, the cup that is poured but is not drank from, is the cup of God's wrath. The Jewish people, they pour this cup, but they don't drink of it. And it sits there as a reminder of uh, what will come for those who don't have faith in God, and it also has a dualistic purpose. It also sits there as as a reminder of what the Messiah, the Savior, who comes, must drink from in order to save the people from their sins. Okay, this fifth cup uh, is is a representative of the wrath of God, and only the Messiah can drink from this cup and not be utterly destroyed. Okay. I was reading last uh, last week um, this Jewish scholar. He's talking about the fifth cup, the cup of God's wrath. And he says this, The drinking of the fifth cup awaits the Messiah, the herald of the final and ultimate redemption. See, Jewish people, they, they are waiting for the Messiah to come. They're waiting for the Savior to come to drink from the fifth cup. But as Christians, we know that Jesus... He came. 
He was the Messiah. He is the Savior. And he drank from the fifth cup on the cross. He drank all of it, all of God's wrath, right? He took it, the, the cup that we deserve to drink from, the cup that we deserve. We don't deserve the first four cups, right? We, we, those, are, those are blessing cups. We don't deserve those. What we do deserve is that fifth cup. And uh, Jesus drank all of it on the cross on our behalf. Now, this Jewish scholar, um, he was right when he said the drinking of the fifth cup awaits the Messiah, the herald of the final and ultimate redemption. He just missed the fact that Jesus was that herald. Jesus was that Savior, that Messiah that drank from that cup and brought ultimate redemption to anyone who believes in him, anyone who trusts Jesus. I said that we would return to the fourth cup, that we would talk about that. And we're going to do that right now. See, the fourth cup, it's known as the cup of restoration, but it's also known as the cup of protection. Jesus drank from the first, second, and third cup of wine. But when it came to the fourth cup, he didn't drink it. He broke Passover. He broke Seder tradition. Why did he do that? Because he was readying himself to go toward the cross to drink from the fifth cup, the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus, he goes to the cross and he drinks from the cup of God's wrath. In fact, he drinks every last drop of that metaphorical cup, right? Metaphorically, he drinks every last drop of God's wrath and he does so without the protection of God, the fourth cup of wine. This is why Jesus on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He knew that he was entering into that fifth cup without the cup of God's protection, the fourth cup. And he did it willingly. He did it willingly for us, for all of humanity to forgive our sins of anyone who places their faith and trust in him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's love for us. And you've been let down. I get that. We've all been let down. You've been left wondering, um, are these promises that people have made to me, are they going to be fulfilled? You're left waiting for someone to love you through the hardest parts of life, to help you, to rescue you. You, you, You've been been, uh, left in the wake of people's empty promises and broken commitments, and you're wondering, will commitments ever mean anything again? And today you hear this story about Jesus, God who came uh, to earth as, as a man. He lives this perfect and sinless life. And, uh, and he decides, right, to not drink from the cup of protection. Uh, and he has this mindset, if it is to be, it's up to me. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to be every part of this covenant. I'm going to be the administrator. I'm going to be uh, the party. And I'm going to be the blood that binds this covenant. And I'm going to go save and rescue my people. Because he believes this. The the power of promises are are not in their commitments, but they're in their fulfillments. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to give my people flashy commitments and empty promises. I'm going to give them fulfilled commitments. I'm going to make sure that they have a way uh, to have eternal life with me. And he's every, everything that we need. And so you, you, you hear this today and you're going, wait, could it, could it be? Could it be that he really wants to to enter into a new covenant with me? Is he welcoming me? Is he inviting me to follow him? As laid out in the terms and conditions of the new covenant, he wants to to write his instruction on your heart. 
right? He, he, wants, he wants to write who he is and what he wants for your life on you. He wants to remove your stony and stubborn heart and give you a heart of flesh, a tender and responsive heart. He wants to give you a new heart. And he wants to put his Holy Spirit inside of you. He's ready for you to follow him. Are you ready to follow him? If you are ready to follow him, I, I want to invite you to pray with me, to surrender your life to him, and to pray these words after me. God, I know you don't offer empty promises. I know you don't give me broken commitments. Thank you for being the God who will fulfill all the promises you have ever spoken. I believe that I've sinned and I've done the wrong things, but I believe that you will save me if I place my trust in you. So today, I want to enter into the new covenant with you. Today, I want you to replace my stubborn and stony heart with a tender and responsive heart. Today, I want you to write your instruction on my heart. Today, I want you to put your spirit in me. I want to start living my life for you and become more like you. Thank you for giving me new life and saving me. If you prayed this prayer, then you are a different person. Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, he, he wrote this to the church in Corinth uh, in one of his letters, and then the second letter in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Redemption Church is celebrating with you that you have a new heart and a new life. Your new life has begun and we want to celebrate with you. And so if 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 you just prayed for the first time, God, I, I want to be saved by you. I want to enter this new covenant with you. I want life. I want new life with you. If you prayed all this, okay, if you're ready to follow Jesus in the comment section, do us a favor and just type yes. Just type yes in, in, in all caps, exclamation point, yes we want to celebrate with you. Um, if for some reason that's just too much for you, go ahead and DM us. But no matter what, we want to be celebrating with you uh, this new heart that you have received. Um, well, before we go, uh, I, I want to say this, that we have community groups starting this September. And listen, real quick, if you were in a community group last semester, it does not transition over to the second semester, okay? And so, uh, or to, to, to this next semester. So you need to make sure you sign up again. Okay, so make sure you go sign up for community groups. You can do that by going to our website. Uh, very simple, as, as Casey had said. And then the very last thing is this, that next week we're doing a standalone uh, series that is going to be a long-standing series. That makes uh, no sense, I'm sure. But, um, but basically, it, the, the series is called The Theology of Blank. And this, what we'll, what we'll do is, is between some of our series, we'll kind of put in a, a one-week um, addition to this long-standing series called the Theology of Blank. And next week, we're going to talk about the theology of church. And so, what is the church? What isn't the church? And why is it the most powerful thing on the earth? If you're intrigued, uh, we'd love to see you next Sunday. Redemption. Have a great week.